So this morning, I'm actually um, going to be speaking on the gathered church. And um, I know actually this morning, well, we're, we're a decent number. We're okay. There's a lot of people away. But I, and I think how important is it that we talk about the gathered church? Um, last week, you know, Mike spoke to us about the presence of God. Didn't he? He reminded us that the presence of God is the distinguishing feature of the people of God. And um, to experience the manifest presence of God, we just need to make room for him, which is what we did wonderfully last week and what we want to do again this week. So we're going to, you know, we've had a teeny bit of worship, I will speak, and then we're going to make room. We're going to worship again and invite God to come among us again in a wonderful way. And so... um, you know, I'll be talking about the gathered church and corporate worship. And by corporate worship, I mean everything that happens in our, in our service. And the writer of Hebrews, he said, um, or whoever wrote it, we don't know who it is actually, says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And I think this has been a challenge for every church worldwide since COVID. Like, first, literally, we couldn't meet, could we? Like, we we were not allowed to meet, and then we all had more Zoom meetings than we could possibly uh, dream that we ever needed. And um, I think every church has somehow been impacted and is in some stage of recovery from COVID, And um, we were talking to someone last week who was visiting here from another church overseas. And they were saying that during COVID, um, lots of people on the fringes kind of disappeared. And then lots of other new people came, you know. And so the church was a different shape. You know, there's been a lot of shape shifting, I think, with churches um, through this season, including our own. And, um, you know, some, some of our members are online uh, this morning for very good practical reasons, which are totally understandable. And it's really brilliant that we can make that available. But hopefully there'll be a day when we can all gather again together in person. I believe it is really important that we are the gathered church and we understand the importance of the gathered church. And so I'm just going to look at a few reasons why, some in more detail than others. Um, for example, we come under the preaching of the word together. And there's a whole world of online teaching out there. That it's brilliant that we can have access to that. Um, you know, want to be selective, I guess, with, with, you know, some of it is better than others, you know. Um, but there is something about us going forward together as a community um, through the teaching of the word. The gathered church also prays together. You know, of course, we all pray individually, and it's important and essential that we do that. But there's something about praying together that Charles Spurgeon called the engine room of the church when we come together. Now, um, you can't get very far without an engine in your car, can you? It's, um, an engine is not a single part, but it's lots of parts working together, isn't it? And I found this definition that I like. It's an engine is a machine with moving parts that converts power into motion. I thought that was cool. So, um, okay, so there's preaching, that's prayer. Another amazing aspect of the gathered church is found in Ephesians 3.10, which says God's intent was that now... Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Okay, so that means that we are a demonstration to principalities and powers. And you think, what, us? You know, little old us. Um, but in the Screwtape Letters, which is a brilliant book by C.S. Lewis, um, where he's imagining the letters of a senior devil called Screwtape writing to his nephew, who's a junior devil called Wormwood. And he says, the church, as we see her spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners, that, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. Okay, so we come together from different backgrounds, different walks of life, different countries, even mostly South Africa, but, you know, lots of different countries. But we are all united by this common thread that is the wisdom of God to provide the way of salvation. You know, it's uh, for people who are hopelessly lost. It's the wisdom of God to deal with our biggest problems of sin and death to call people out of darkness into his wonderful life, you know, to to save anyone who calls on his name, you know, to change our lives. We're ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, to give us eternal life, even make us co-heirs with Christ. You know, it's the wisdom of God to do this. And it's a demonstration to principalities and powers. Angels look on in wonder at these things, but demons look on and tremble. When people's lives are transformed, when they're set free, yeah, when they're not captive by sin anymore, they look on and they go, I've lost that one. I can't get that one anymore. You know, it's the gathered church. We're, we're a demonstration not just to the physical world but to the spiritual world as well that our God is a rescuer, he's a redeemer, and that our God saves. I actually get really excited about that. But... Uh, And the thing to note is it's entirely God that does the saving, isn't it? So it's reasonable to say as well that it's God that does the gathering. You know, so we, in a sense, yes, we get in our cars and we come to church. But ultimately, it's God who is gathering us. You know, it's always been God's plan to have a people set apart from him. Ephesians 1 tells us God chose us in him before the creation of the world predestined us for adoption into his family. Romans 8 tells us that those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. It's, it's been him all the way. We can come into the presence of God. You know, God said to Moses, no one can see God and live. But we have access you know, it's amazing, you know, where, where only one priest could go in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, with a, a rope tied around his leg in case he died in there and they had to pull him out. You know, now God has torn the curtain and he's given us access into his most holy presence. You know, Ephesians three eleven says, In Christ and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. You know, we could explore that all morning, couldn't it? We can approach God with freedom and confidence. And one day we'll see him face to face, even more amazing. And it's good to remember what a great privilege it is and not be casual about it. And um, I was joking with Helen. I want to say, Helen, well done this morning for leading us. You're 
did so well. And we were joking this morning about, you know, sometimes it's a bit hard to get everyone's attention. <laughs> you know, it's just like, hello, hello. Um, and it's great that we're family. We love greeting each other. We're informal. It's the Northern Beaches. We're laid back. All of those things, I get it. Um, but I think it's also good to remember that we're coming to God. You know, um, we're not coming to the worship team. We're not saying, please notice us. You know, we're here. And, and I'm not saying, let's come in like church mice, going to the library or something like that. It's not that mice go to the library. But, um, but it's just good to remember when we, when we are gathered, when we've come in and we've said all our highs, we remember we're coming to God. And we are a priesthood of believers, all of us. It's not... not just the worship team who lead. We are all a priesthood of believers who minister to God. And it's just good to remember the privilege and the dignity of that appointment. And in doing that, another thing we can do as the gathered church is take communion together as we did last week, you know, and in that place we remember what God has done and we remember who we are in him. But the final thing I want to say about the gathered church is that we sing together. And we can tend to think of ourselves as singers and non-singers, or in my case, trying not to be a rusty singer. That's, um, but I encourage you not to make such distinctions because God's church is a singing church. You know, Darlene Check once said, if you can't sing well, just sing loud. <laughs> Amen. So the Christian faith is a singing faith. And it's a distinctive feature that is not found in some other faiths. Um, so I just want to spend a couple of minutes looking at why singing is central to our faith. And then we'll put that into practice and we'll come and sing again and enjoy the presence of God together. Does that sound all right? So the Bible is full of singing from beginning to end. You know, God says to Job, where were you when I made creation and the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? There's songs from Moses and Miriam as God leads his people out of captivity. In Judges, you know, Deborah and Barak, the, the leader of the fighting men, they sing a song of victory in battle. In 1 Chronicles, the people sang when the ark was brought back from the Philistines. If we say singing is central to our faith, it is literally central to the Bible. There's a, there's a massive songbook in there called the Psalms. And uh, there's songs of praise and joy, songs of confession, heartbreak, as well as songs of victory and rejoicing. In Nehemiah, you know, the people rejoiced when they had rebuilt the walls. Um, they sang so loudly that the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. So there's an evangelistic aspect to this that I'll come back to as well. You know, God seems to like loud. You know, the psalmist says, praise him on the loud symbols. And um, as well as that, the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, they all instruct us to sing. It just goes on and on through the Bible. Jesus sang. You know, Keith and Kristen Getty write, you know, that after the Last Supper, in Matthew 26:30, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You know, wouldn't you love to know what they sang? <laughs> I would. Um, on the cross, Jesus quoted a song, Psalm 22. He would have grown up singing that song. He quoted that there. 
In Acts 16, Paul, is, Paul and Silas, they sang in prison, didn't they? And, and the prison doors were flung open. Ephesians 5:19 instructs us, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. I'm going to look at more of this next week. But sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it goes on through the Bible all the way to Revelation where we see the ultimate expression of the gathered church. You know, where all the redeemed from every tribe and tongue and nation and people will gather around the throne of the Lamb who once was slain. And we'll join the elders who are singing, you are worthy to take the scroll. We'll join thousands upon thousands of angels who are singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And we'll join all the saints who have gone before and every creature in heaven and earth to sing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. We'll join with all creation. Even the trees will clap their hands. Even the rocks will cry out. Everything will be praising the living God. So, but why, why singing? Like, I don't know. What is it about this? So the theologian, um, Andrew Wilson, he says, singing is the only form of communication that makes sense and is actually enhanced by lots of people doing it together. And I was like, oh, yeah. So, so if we all talk at the same time, it's kind of nonsense and we can't figure out what, what's going on. But when we all sing together, it, Andrew Wilson says this, God has designed music in his grace in such a way that our voices and our melodies reinforce and amplify and enhance the songs of other people rather than detracting from them as we sing together. It's actually better when we sing together. And there's a uniting aspect about it. You know, when we sing in a congregation, your song strengthens the faith of your neighbor. And the the same with when we exercise spiritual gifts and worship, they strengthen, they edify, they build up the body. That's why we lose a lot when we're not able to sing together. And I, I mentioned there's also an evangelistic aspect, you know, to our worship. So Miles got saved as a choir boy in the Anglican church, singing, I know, oh, uh, singing How Great Thou Art. That's how he came to faith. And then I came to faith because I went along to a Pentecostal gospel choir as the, the only white person there. And I was, um, I was like, please, can I sing in your choir? And they were like, okay. I wasn't a Christian or anything. And they, they let me come in, which was amazing. When I look back at that, I think, wow, that's really amazing because I always came straight from the pub. I was clearly, you know, on a different road. And, um, and I, um, the song, Just As I Am, the hymn, Just As I Am, that was key to me becoming a Christian. And the turning point for me was when I was in a, one of these rehearsals and the choir stopped rehearsing and they started worshipping and I was in the presence of God and my life, and I was sat down going, oh my gosh, all these people believe what they're singing. And, and I sat down and I felt covered from head to toe in dirt and I thought, my life's a mess, and I need to change. It was, it was that, and it was just people in a, in a rehearsal, a choir rehearsal. There is an evangelistic aspect to our worship. And, you know, some people think, oh, if we have a guest service, you know, we've got 
community barbecue, perhaps we should dial down the worship, so, you know. Uh, but really, would you rather people went away thinking, surely God is in this place? Or, um, oh, they didn't really seem that into it. The clue, it's not the second one. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and that doesn't mean that it's all celebration, you know, and all of that. I think what communicates to people is authenticity. So, um, so what communicated to me in that choir rehearsal was adoration. I saw these upturned faces. Everybody looked so clean. And that, uh, communi- their sincerity communicated to me. And there's many kinds of songs, you know, and we, sh- we should explore them more, such as songs that express that life can be really tough, but we're still trusting a God who is still faithful. You know, there's been a lot of situations and still are in this church of people going through that kind of situation, and it's good and healthy to express that. You know, the How Long God song is a biblical song. It's, it's okay for us to do that. But even in those difficult situations, we can sing. You know, when we lived in Brighton, there was this family there. And in the space of a few weeks, they went from finding out that their five-year-old son had cancer to him dying. It was very quick, shocking. It was just such a loss, obviously, for, for everybody especially that family. And a few weeks after that, the mother of that child, I think I remember I was leading worship that day and there was a sort of space near the front, kind of like that, and she came down and she was singing and dancing with all of her might. And people were like, how? How is that possible to do that? But as we declare truth... You know, we, as we sing it out of the depths of our souls, you know, we're built up and we're strengthened. It actually does it, us good and it can generate joy when we look to God. It's not like we're trying to pop the power of positive thinking or anything like that. But it's like when we think my situation is like this, but you are like this. You know, you are my hope, my rock, my deliverer, my healer. You know, it builds us up and it strengthens us. So we don't only sing when we're happy. You know, we sing and that can be part of what makes us happy. Because you often see this trajectory in the Psalms, don't you? Why so downcast, O my soul, yet will I praise him? And awake my soul and sing. We can encourage ourselves in the Lord to do that. Deep calls to deep. And um, so finally, singing, it also unites us with God. God is a singing God. And so we are a singing people because we're made in his image. God sings over us. Zephaniah 3, 14 to 17 says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again feel evil. 
On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I love that. He sings redemption over us. He sings blessing and life over us. He sings his love and his joy and his delight over us. He loves us. So we come together as the called and chosen people of God whom God is gathering from every corner of the earth, from the highways and the byways. If I be lifted, Jesus said, I will draw people to me. Yeah, he's drawing us. And we're the people to whom God has given the privilege of access to his holy presence. He calls us friends. And he sings his eternal love song over us. And we sing praise and thanks and love and adoration back to him in reply. Mm. 